Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. And today we'll talk about verbs that come from animal behaviors and about when to use people, persons, and peoples. One of our listeners wrote in with a question about what she called animal verbs, verbs that take their name from an animal's characteristic behavior. She wondered if there were a proper name for such verbs. Well, Catherine, there is a special name for animal sounds, at least ones that imitate the noises that animals make. They're called onomatopoeia. For example, quack, woof, and chirp are onomatopoeias. These words mimic the sounds that ducks, dogs, and birds make, respectively. But as far as we can find, there's no special name for words based on the behavior of animals. We're going to talk about some of them today anyway, though, just for fun. Some such words are pretty obvious in their meaning. The verb to ram is based on the tendency of a male sheep, also known as a ram, to crash into one another, horns first, when they're competing for a mate. The verb to hog refers to pigs jostling one another for room in a feeding trough. And monkeying around refers to the sometimes mischievous behavior of spider monkeys. But some animal verbs have a more subtle meaning. For example, to bird dog means to conduct a determined search for something or to pester someone relentlessly. It's based on the behavior of hunting dogs like Labradors and Spaniels. These dogs are used to find birds, flush them out of the underbrush, and then retrieve them once they've been downed. In a related vein, to dog or to hound someone means to follow someone or harass them persistently. This one is based on the behavior of hound dogs like beagles, bassets, and bloodhounds. These dogs use their acute sense of smell to chase prey or escaped convicts in many cop and robber movies across miles on end. To squirrel something away means to save up or hoard something, much as a squirrel hoards nuts to eat during the winter months. Interestingly, as an adjective, to say someone is squirrely means something entirely different. It means that they are unpredictable, nervy, even demented. This is based on a squirrel's tendency to hop quickly from branch to branch or to run in a zigzag manner when being chased. By the way, the word squirrel has an adorable derivation. It comes from putting together the ancient Greek words for shade and tail. You can just picture a squirrel fanning its tail on a hot summer day, gaining some shade. Flying into the world of birds, we find a number of analogies. Someone can crane their neck, calling to mind the long, flexible necks of fishing birds like the sandhill crane or whooping crane. Someone who repeats what others have said, rather than expressing original ideas, is said to be parroting back what they've heard. This is a reference to the uncanny ability of birds like parrots, parakeets, and macaws to imitate human words. Parrot, by the way, may come from the French word perrot, P-I-E-R-R-O-T, a diminutive of the name Pierre. So a parrot would be a little Pierre. Going on, to crow means to boast loudly of one's accomplishments, much like the obnoxious loud caw of the crow. And to swan means to waltz around aimlessly, like a swan idly paddling here and there across the pond. Finally, let's descend to the world of simpler animals. 
Here, we can worm our way into someone's affections, meaning that we creepily insinuate ourselves into their life, much as a worm might travel unseen and unheard through the dirt. We can leech onto someone, meaning we attach ourselves to them like a parasite, gaining money, care, or lodging in exchange for little or nothing. And of course, we can bug someone or tick them off, annoying them just as much as a swarm of mosquitoes. And a point of order, the tick in to tick someone off doesn't actually refer to ticks, the odious insects that embed themselves into an animal's skin and suck out their blood. Rather, this phrase is derived from the Middle English word tech, meaning a pat or a touch. We could go on for much longer talking about verbs based on the behavior of animals. There are a ton, but we better stop ferreting out meanings and clam up for now rather than badgering you to listen to this any longer. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. Believe it or not, in the 1800s and early 1900s, many people objected to the use of people as I just used it. You weren't supposed to write about many people or a hundred people or so on. Many persons and 100 persons was the right way to say it. Or at least there was a big debate at the time with many people, persons, arguing that persons was better, even though people had been using people all the way back in Chaucer's time. Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of English Usage doesn't record any reason for the debate. People just argued and debated about it. And thankfully, those days are over. But the change was still quite recent. The AP Stylebook, for example, updated its entry to recommend people instead of persons sometime around 1980. Still, nowadays, people is almost always the right choice when you're talking about more than one person. Persons is rare, and dictionaries that do include it often note that it's uncommon, archaic, or going out of style, although it does still appear in legal writing, which is often more slow to change than general writing, and it appears in set phrases such as missing persons. So the bottom line is that unless you're writing legal documents, you're using set phrases such as persons of interest, or you're writing fiction and you want your characters to sound like they're in the 1800s or early to mid-1900s, use people. But now we have one more word to consider. After a recent segment about monies, a plural of money, a listener named Alan commented that he didn't like monies and also said as an aside that he didn't like peoples either. So what's up with peoples? I'm not talking about the possessive like the people's court. I'm talking about a second plural form as in peoples of the Andes or indigenous peoples day a holiday that's sometimes observed instead of Columbus Day in the United States, and is sometimes written without an apostrophe. Of course, people is already the plural of person, but peoples is another term for a race, group, or nationality, and both the AP Stylebook and the Chicago Manual of Style acknowledge peoples used in this way. And I should note that this use isn't new— the Oxford English Dictionary has examples of peoples going back to the Wycliffe Bible in 1382 and Chaucer in 1425. In general today, peoples is used to write about more than one group. For example, you can write about the American people, that's one group, but if you were writing about people who speak English, 
And you wanted to emphasize that this one big group is actually made up of many smaller distinct groups. You might write about English-speaking peoples instead of just English-speaking people. Interestingly, this distinction somewhat parallels how we use the odd plural monies, in that finance writers tend to use monies to talk about a pool of money that's come from multiple sources. For example, maybe there are 20 different groups that make up English-speaking peoples, I'm not sure of the number, and maybe there are 20 different grants that combine to make a pool of monies. I'm with Alan in that I don't love the words monies or peoples, mostly because they draw too much attention to themselves, but they aren't wrong and they do have specific meanings, and if you want to draw attention to that meaning, then they are an excellent choice. Just don't use them when you simply mean money or people, because they aren't just fancy plurals for those words. Finally, I have a familect story from Renee. Hi, Grammar Girl. This is Renee from Monterey, California. My familect is for the situation when a dog and its owner look similar to each other. Eight years ago, my husband and I were at the dog park. We saw a woman with a wiener dog named Stanley. It would be difficult to appreciate how much this woman and her dog looked alike without seeing them for yourself. I will just say that the resemblance was striking. Ever since then, when we notice a dog and dog owner resemblance, my husband and I call it a Stanley situation. Thank you for your podcast. I learned something new with each one. Thanks, Renee. I love that. I vaguely remember some kind of contest a few years ago that had people submit their Stanley situation photos. And as you said, some of the resemblances could be oddly striking. If you want to call with your family word story, your familect, you can leave a voicemail at 833214-GIRL, and I might play it on the show. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find articles that go with each podcast segment at my website, quickanddirtytips.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook as Grammar Girl and on TikTok as The Real Grammar Girl. Thanks to my producer, Nathan Sams, and that's all. Thanks for listening. Oh,